Welcome to Masala PTI with your hosts, Ravi and Arvind. Pardon these Indians as they take you on a unique and wild ride around the world of sports. Hello, boys and girls. Uh, welcome to another edition of uh, Masala PTI. This is your host, Arvind. I'm here with uh, uh, Ravi. Uh, Ravi, how's it going with uh, week, what is this, five or six? I'm losing track of time with the NFL season. Uh, and, and you you wouldn't be wrong in that, Arvind. Hello <laughs> to you and everyone. But it seems like week five has already blended with week six with a game tonight on a Tuesday right. night. That's a good point. Yeah, so... Let's start right there, Ravi. Uh, COVID obviously is causing a lot of uh, uh, shifting and movement of games. Uh, I saw, I'm going to steal from a funny tweet I saw uh, the other day where they said the fantasy uh, commissioners are doing way more work than the actual commission, NFL commissioner Roger Goodell in terms of handling all this because NFL seems to be just winging it. So far, it looks like they have kind of structurally kept the season going along, assuming tonight's game happens. Uh, But from a fantasy perspective, uh, all the owners and commissioners have to do a lot of juggling to get the rosters in place and things like that. So I thought we would start with some uh, thoughts on how to mitigate and handle some of these COVID risks as far as the fantasy rosters go. Now, obviously, there's no rocket science here, right? I mean, if, if stuff happens, especially last minute, we all have to probably eat that loss. Uh, but to the extent we can plan ahead and do something, I just wanted to throw some ideas out there, Ravi, and you might have some stuff better than me. So let me go first. The obvious one is, I guess we shouldn't stack uh, you know, players, your roster with players from the same NFL team because then, you know, if a team like Tennessee have to miss a couple of weeks, then you are stuck with, you know, Tannehill and Derek Henry and Jono Smith or whatever. Not that it was ever a good idea to have a multiple players from the same NFL team, but it looks like one of the most obvious uh, risk mitigation that a lot of owners are trying to do is basically uh, get rid of uh, players even in the second player from the same teams. Like I've gotten some aggressive trade requests just to get rid of, uh, you know, guys with, you know, players from the same team. Other than that, Ravi, is there anything uh, that you have seen in the out there in the industry, as they say, that, that would help uh, listeners with handling this COVID disruptions? Or if you want to add some other twist to the same team aspect, uh, welcome there as well. What do you think you know, about the, those topics? Yeah, I think the two most common tactics I've seen are the ones that you mentioned, which is on the... Uh, on the side of the owners, the fantasy team owners, they have been trying to pawn off, uh, uh, you know, multiple situations where they have had multiple players on the from the same NFL team off at like you know seventy five cents to the dollar. Yeah. Uh, the other alternative, which honestly is the more tactical one, is uh, uh, to be able to uh, keep a designated backup for each role. So. Something right. that I know I know that has been implemented in our league of record as well, though it did not really conform to a 
very structured level, I think it, it does make sense where for certain defined positions where you do have multiple bench players for a specific role, uh, for each owner to designate one particular bench player in the same uh, position to be the assigned backup in case their starting lineup player ends up having their game cancelled. I think that's something that I've seen quite often. Uh, right. the, the middle of these tactics, which I frankly am not a big fan of, I know you have not been a fan of either, is to just assume that anyone from a bench can replace an existing starting lineup player. I mean, that frankly almost makes it more advantageous for one to have a game cancelled. That's true. That's uh, Yeah, there's two flavors to that I've seen. I think some leagues do it like go with your starter and then if something happens to him, just replace him with anybody on the bench. But I agree with you. Uh, I mean, our league of record does that too. In retrospect, I, I guess we didn't put a lot of thought into it before the season. Uh, but I've seen some other leagues do it the other way, right? Where they have actually uh, asked the owners to put in a bench player as a starter. That way you commit to one guy and then they ask him to email the commissioner saying, okay, by the way, if this guy plays, I would still like to start a Julian Edelman or a Derrick Henry. But my roster as it sits now is I'm committed to one of the backups. So, you know, both I guess technically works, but I agree with you. Uh, having the owners commit to a backup instead of letting it open-ended is probably the better strategy. But in any case, commissioners are dealing with this at runtime. And, uh, you know, one other thing that just crossed my mind, Ravi, is the way they are moving the bye weeks. Is there any risk of certain weeks ending up with like eight teams on a bye or things like that? Or yes. are they being conscious of that as well? I, I can't tell. Uh, you know, at... so uh, to me though, the uh, n no solution is easy, obviously. But the easiest and most logical solution is for the uh, NFL to assume that they will have uh, uh, an 18-week regular season. Uh, so, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in a worst-case scenario, what that means is that you are allo allocating a cushion of three additional weeks or two additional weeks, sorry, uh, for multiple teams to be on multiple buys. Uh, Just curious, why why didn't they do that? Now that I don't know, hindsight is, is twenty twenty. But I am really surprised that they are going at this as if nothing was going to happen. Like exactly, and I think it is very much a case of them assuming the best mm -hmm. uh, and expecting the best versus yeah. uh, you know assuming the worst and expecting the best. Uh, and it's 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 again rather. Uh, uh, you know, re retroactive that or reactive that today I saw an Adam Schefter tweet where he says that uh, Goodell is now saying that they're open to an 18-week season, which kind of, I think it's already screwed up some of the teams who are having to play like two games in five days and this and that, not for any fault of their own. Right, right, right. So, so I think not to get too political or anything, but I think NFL's approach to this has been consistent with America's approach to this, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, so it looks like they didn't really... And all of us, to some extent, we are hoping this thing will go away in three months and then six months and then nine months. And there's no sign of this COVID thing going away. But looks like NFL could have easily buff, put in some buffers and things like that. 
do you think they're again not that you would have all the answers to this but i'm just curious what do you think about it do you think that they're open to having a 14 or 15 game season for some teams like how the mlb ended up with you know they didn't really care they didn't get religious about every team playing the 60 game short and regular season right yeah. at some point they just gave up i wonder if nfl would be a little bit more uh, stuck with the 16 just because it's such a short season and every game means so much have you heard anything on that i have not but i'm assuming that given what their mindset has been it is not something that they will consider right now but they will eventually have to reconcile to that wherein if the whole tennessee titans case repeats itself for even one or two more teams uh, i think they will be left with no other option but to have uh, either everyone playing let's say 14 games regular season or calibrated so that some teams end up playing 14 i don't know but they will end up doing it but in again given godell's mindset it will not be something that he will proactively prepare for it will be a reactive measure if and when things get worse yeah that's wrong i mean that's how it has been you're right but i did re- hear read somewhere that they have a lot of flexibility as a, as far as the tv situation goes and all that and they're willing to go until like uh, early march for super bowl i don't know if they will really tap into that but looks yeah. like uh, of course it's nfl right they can they can show it in the middle of the night on a you know in Can people, people watch. will watch it yeah, yeah. so it, but you know the only problem i see and you are exactly right i think the only as far as tv audience is concerned the only problem that i see is in the last week i have seen a few more teams uh, announcing that they will start letting people in you know during the games mm-hmm. to me there is there are two issues there one is for what it's worth having 7000 people in a stadium is 7000 you know you individual cases worse than having no one there in the sense in terms of probability or risk of uh, uh, right. covid and the second thing is the fact that there have been no fans at the stadium is one of the main uh, levers that has allowed the nfl to keep switching around schedules and having tuesday night games and having some teams that were supposed to play monday night end up playing sunday afternoon and vice versa having people in the stadium and then having to shift things around is not going to be as easy not that they need that's, consensus they don't that's a good point yeah they'll keep switching it around but i'm just saying if some of these teams are calling out for people to be available i'm sure that's partly driven by revenue stream mm-hmm. and the more things get moved around when they have already committed to a certain number of seats is going to be that much more problematic That's a good point and and you know people like Jerry Jones are saying they want to keep expanding the you know number of people they're going to put on the stands i think he already is up to 20000 or something right. like that he right. wants to keep growing that it's crazy it's almost like you know that's another thing nfl didn't do right it just left it to the individual teams and cities to decide this as well which was another weird uh, thing Yeah. But anyway, so that's where we are as far as fantasy. I think these disruptions have been, uh, uh, you know, front and center in, in in people's minds. Other than that, Ravi, as far as this week goes, what do you think? I just wanted to throw one uh, running back question at you. Ready? Sure. Yes. <laughs> Chase Edmonds or Cam Akers? You know, ironically. Uh, 
in one of the leagues both of us play they are both of those guys are in the same team one of our friends team but i think these are two guys who showed some life last week and to me it's looked like chase edmonds uh, had a very uh, you know the arizona cardinals had a kind of a blowout win and they kind of split the carries between the two so i don't know where that goes long term and the, the rams back field has been pretty uh, hard to get a handle on uh, but yeah. camakers did decent last week so if you are going after one of those two or both uh, how, how would you rank them uh, to, to, to me it's uh, chase edmonds by a landslide and i say this uh, based on you know uh, some observations the first one of which is i also I actually watched the Arizona Cardinals Jets game and it was very clear that Chase Edmonds is much better of a running back than Kenyon Drake is for the scheme Arizona plays. Uh mm-hmm. I don't know what's happened to Drake this year compared to last year but it almost feels like he is now or Chase Edmonds is him last year and Kenyon Drake is David Johnson last year where wow. you know the the expected starter is laboring around not getting any juice going and then you bring in the you know the, the the supposed backup and all of a sudden lanes seem to open up and you know the 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 screen passes seem to be available uh, so and i know some of it is given or driven by the fact that uh, edmonds is supposed to be the shiftier of the two but that mm-hmm. is arizona's offensive system they don't need a 3 yards uh, and a you know and an ounce of dust type of a running back in any case so i think chase edmonds by a landslide for that reason number 2 that's a dilemma or that's a question i cannot effectively answer in the rams backfield as to whether cam akers is even the better running back than say henderson uh, cam akers mm-hmm. numbers were good last week he had nine carries for 60 yards or so but that included one you know one carry for like 35 36 yards where they were basically trying to sort away the game uh, henderson right. seems to have had much more burst so i'm not candidly i'm not even sure if cam akers is that good mm-hmm. uh, and and on top of it for whatever reason mcway seems intent on using not even a two headed monster he in- insists on using malcolm brown so it's actually a three headed monster even in a best case scenario so to me chase edmonds probably takes over um, sooner rather than later uh, and plus i think he is the better running back in that backfield Wow, that's a that's a lot of confidence in Chase Edmonds. But I trust your judgment as a resident Arizona Cardinals expert. I have not been watching them a lot. Okay. Uh, but I I am uh, I like Chase Edmonds in general. But you know, uh, I let's see how that one plays out. I I thought he had a pretty good stretch last year before he had some injury issues as well. Yeah, but I do have a question as well for you, Arvin, on on I guess backup and back backup to backup running backs, <laughs> and that happens in your territory, which is in the case of the Forty Niners. Obviously, Mostert came back, and so he took over, so to speak, as the starter. But what was it about McKinnon getting only one carry last week? Uh, was that again just the fact that the game was out of reach, or what was going on there? Yeah that was a surprise I was also looking for him on TV like hey where is McKinnon <laughs> but I guess it's it's uh good for me as a master owner that he right. did what he did 
but i honestly i think if that offense is good which was the biggest problem right it was not good it was yes. nowhere near good uh, we will get to that next but the if there is always enough juice in that offense for two running backs if not more the way shanahan uh, likes to run stuff especially the way he did it last year so i have been very confident that there is enough juice for uh, both mustard and mckinnon right but the last game was a was a big blow to that assumption but i think if the offense picks up even a little bit i think both of them would have uh, enough of room to play around there and i think tevin coleman actually might be the odd guy out right as good as yeah. he was last year i think he's going to be the odd guy out i still have a lot of i'm not given up on mckinnon i'm i don't think he will you know uh take over or anything like that but he will definitely get enough uh carry to be like a flex or something like that plus uh you know he's pretty effective in uh passing downs as well which all their running backs are it's yeah. really a great staple of running backs but he's probably the best receiver of the bunch uh all said and done so Fair i point. i think it's it's a great comparison i think the chase edmund uh uh you know jerick mckinnon comparison might be very apt but let's see how it goes uh moving forward speaking of those teams uh, two teams ravi we obviously are uh, cardinals fans living in the bay area so we have connections to both of them unfortunately they both look like maybe fighting for the last spot in the division which is a really difficult division with seattle and rams looking good and things like that um the niners are absolutely uh, trash i think last week the way they played they have no shot at even snipping the playoffs um what did you think of the cardinals where are they i think we got a little bit over excited after week 1 uh but then they bit the niners which we thought was a good team back then and i think we were just discussing this before the call maybe that was a misleading a uh, signal right there but i was honestly not very sold on their uh, uh, the cardinals defense even after that game mm-hmm. uh because i thought uh, even that niner team could have actually won that game if ball was bounced a little bit different so i i was thinking after that game the jury was still out and then they look good uh the next week as well but now they are 2 and 2 and not looking great now the niners have been absolutely a disaster i don't think they're going to make the playoffs un- unless something great big happens right so how do you scout the cardinals first and then the niners so i'll answer the easy one first which is the, i agree with you i think the niners look bad and for what it's worth my 2 year old belief which has often times been mocked and ridiculed and very seldom has been uh, validated uh, is finally coming to fruition that is that i think they un- unnecessarily anointed jimmy g as the as the next montana i think he is in my mind a below average qb when mm-hmm. it comes to decision making and uh, against arizona he was horrendous and i don't know maybe there was a physical ailment or he was still not back confidence wise in in the first half against miami but he again looked putrid so i think san fran has major issues obviously compounded by the injuries on their defensive side arizona though um, i agree with you arvind that i think it may have been a little bit of an over excitement in fact funnily enough uh, after this weekend's win 
uh, I was thinking, so the so the Cardinals are at three and two, but they have beaten the Giants and the Jets. And I was trying hard to remember who the other team they beat. And then mm-hmm. I realized it was the Niners. And I was like, all they've done is beaten up on three crappy teams. So <laughs> the only thing they have proved to me, I'm just picking up, you know, a glass half full perspective. Yeah, the only thing they have proved is they have beaten that long-standing notion that West Coast teams traveling. East uh, for a 10 a.m. game cannot win. I mean, you know, the, even the Cardinals under Kurt Warner used to be a victim of that. And that way, I guess, they have disproved that by beating up on two <laughs> tomato can teams. Other than that, yeah, I'm actually pretty down on the Cardinals. Yeah, yeah. So, they are not looking great. Um, they are looking decent. Um, what do you think of the Rams? I think Rams are going to surprise some people. Rams may be what we thought Atlanta would be this year. Atlanta yeah. is probably straight up in play for, uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence and the number one pick, which brings up another interesting point. I wonder if uh, uh, Shanahan is going to go after Matt Ryan at some point. He probably uh, I would, should. You know, I totally, exactly, I agree with you on Garoppolo. Uh, I have given him a long rope. Uh, I was not as down on him, frankly, as you were, but I have to say you have been proven right more than me. Uh, I was not a big believer, but my point has always been give him some time, right? Give him some time. But then uh, I don't know how long we can put up with this uh, if you're looking for a franchise quarterback. So he might as well go for Matt Ryan now, I think, just like he got... Garoppolo, before the trade deadline, he might as well roll the dice on that, I believe. Uh, any rumors you're seeing on that front? And not rumors, but after actually seeing your uh, Twitter comment on that, I saw two other tweets which basically were pointing to the same exact thing, that now that the Falcons are ready to clean house, uh, yeah. why not make an aggressive push? And John Lynch is known for making some you know, aggressive uh, moves. And this right. feels like the absolute right thing to do, uh, wherein they go after uh, Ryan. I, you know, I know they are 0 and 5, and Ryan's kind of looked uh, brittle towards the end of games. But I still think he's nowhere in the in the vicinity of the Rivers Breeze uh, category of washed QBs. I mean, he seems to still agree ha- have it in him. I, I mean, just a slight off topic, but I was watching Breeze last night. I mean, man, that guy looks done. Um, mm. But uh, but so, in any case, yeah, Ryan would be a good pickup for the Niners, I think. So Ryan is thirty five, which kind of surprised me. I thought he would be like thirty two or thirty three. He's thirty five already. But you're, I agree with you that he's a huge upgrade over what the Niners have right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not only is Garoppolo not looking good, but for all of Shanahan's brilliance, none of the other quarterbacks are doing anything either. Uh, yeah, so did you, and I speak about this, I think we both heard it on a podcast recently that uh, Denver was trying hard to trade for Nick Mullins in the offseason and uh, Shanahan flat out said no. Yeah, I heard about that during the offseason. I didn't uh, uh, I, I didn't know whether it was very, you know, it was confirmed or what not, but I heard some rumors around that. But Mullins does not look good. CJ Beathard is uh, not looking great either. So basically, uh, he has really not developed any of the three. I mean, not that it's his fault, but we gave him maybe too much credit. So I wonder if he will go Sean McQuay's way uh, next year. 
uh, even though McVeigh seems to be coming back. So yeah, that, that's what this league is, man. It's basically year to year, and the Super Bowl loser curse, I guess, is undefeated. Uh, the, the Super Bowl loser always does really bad, or at least nothing better than mediocre. And Niners may be on track for the same uh, same fate as well. Agreed. All right. Um, Anything you want to add uh, on the NFL before we move on to NBA, which just uh, wrapped up its season? No, I think we have covered most of the uh, key key breaking points well. All right. So, let's talk a little bit about the NBA. It's been a while. And kudos, first of all, to the league and Adam Silver for operating a bubble unlike any other. And basically, going in early July and coming out early October with zero COVID cases. That's just amazing. Uh, and, mind-boggling. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And congrats to the Lakers too on um, on, on their victory. Um, I, you know, both you and I, I don't think we are uh, Laker fans by any stretch of the imagination, but you have to give the devil its due. Just amazing performance by uh, Lakers and in general, uh, even the role players, but definitely LeBron's is... There seems to be no sign of him slowing down, not to mention AD has just taken that next step and he's now a legit top five superstar in the league. So amazing performance by them. But um, Ravi, I do want to say that that's where the discussion stops, right? If the Lakers yes. fans want to say that this is the hardest or the toughest or the roughest, then I, I, I'm not going to stop there. I'm going to come back with, my own twist on this, right? Essentially, this season, the bubble was definitely weird and different, but don't tell me it was the hardest or anything like that. For every argument you can make that it was hard, you could also make a counter-argument saying that maybe they got some breaks because of the bubble, right? I'm talking about the Lakers. Sure, they lost their home court, but you know, maybe not traveling, which seems to have helped every team. Maybe that helped them more being a kind of an older team. So who knows how these things worked out. So I think we should just, you know, give them kudos for winning. But any qualification on this, both on the negative or the positive side, makes me uncomfortable. And if you want to put the positive spin on this as a Laker fan, then you have to put up with me or somebody else putting a negative spin off on it as a, you know, Laker, uh, you know, skeptic. Uh, where, where do you fall on all that? But I know I spoke a little bit too much. Before that, anything you want to add about the bubble and the Lakers' uh, performance itself? Yeah, I, I mean, first and foremost, huge kudos to the NBA and all of the administrative and the operational staff, which was responsible for ensuring that uh, things literally went as smoothly as anyone would have ever envisioned. Mm -hmm. uh, the thing is with the Lakers, and also, yes, you're right. I mean, congratulations for the Lakers winning their 17th or uh, I forget how many championships they have. Yeah. But, yeah, the whole argument about it being more difficult, to me, the only thing I can glean, and this is being as objective as possible, is that if anything, not having to travel and not having to go play on the... Uh, road uh, was more advantageous, as you said, to an older uh, team such as the Lakers than than anyone else. So I think that part of it I don't buy. Uh, I agree with you that I think at best it was as bad for everyone else as it was for them, and at 
you know, uh, at worst, maybe I think they, they actually lucked out in that sense. And the second thing is, the other narrative I've seen coming out is that, uh, uh, you know, it shows that they are a champion team and, you know, he's obviously an all-time, uh, mm-hmm. LeBron is an all-time legend, all of which is true. Uh, but I was thinking back on the uh, folks who were talking about how the Warriors caught a break when uh, Kyrie went down a couple, a few seasons ago, and then they didn't have to play Harden in a game six or game seven. And I was thinking, if you were to really Chris Paul, ta- Chris Paul, sorry, yeah, yeah, yes. So if you were to tabulate the breaks in this year's, uh, you know, playoffs, I think the LeBron, I mean, the LeBron Lakers made up for all of that with. Uh, very generous dose of lucky slash, uh, uh, you know, welcome breaks along the way. Not the least of all was the fact that they rendered Dragic and Adebayo uh, useless for yep. a significant portion of the finals. Definitely. I mean, they got, you know, the only argument there, Ravi, is that every finals kind of has this kind of... Uh, not just finals, every playoffs, it's so long, there's always some injury stories, but... This one definitely has the shades of the 2015 Warriors run, right? Because Lillard got hurt in the first round. And then Adebayo and Dragic got hurt in the finals. Uh, and, and you know, I, I guess Denver was relatively healthy and uh, Houston was okay as well. Houston had that suspension, remember? Daniel House yes. <laughs> invited some nurse to his room or something yeah. and then he got busted. So definitely they had their breaks. Um, not to mention the biggest problem, Ravi, with this team, and this may be reflected in the rating. That's the other thing I wanted to touch on. I think it is such a synthetic team. I don't think anybody except the hardcore Laker fans and LeBron fans, of which there are many, obviously. It's the probably the biggest crowd out there. What is the investment in this for any casual fan or any anybody who is not associated with those two? It's such a synthetic team, right? It's manufactured out of thin air, you know. There is probably like one guy, Caruso, maybe who has come up, come up in the Lakers system. You know, the, everybody else has been people. The Laker fans have been booing probably two years back or even less, right? Yeah. He was in New Orleans. LeBron was in Cleveland. Rondo was a Boston guy. This is. It just doesn't feel normal, you know. For all the criticism that the Warriors got. They are primarily a homegrown team on which they added, on top which, of which they added Durant, right? So that has been my number one argument against anyone that has said that uh, the Warriors were basically a super team. Uh, so they had unfair advantage. And my, I mean, my head used to literally fall apart thinking of the fact that three of the four members of that supposed super team were drafted by the Warriors. So they have every freaking reason uh, to own them. I mean, they drafted them. That speaks to their excellence rather than uh, them having, quote-unquote, manufactured a team. Exactly. This one is a completely manufactured team. And I don't think, again, these guys have fought and they have, this is collectively bargained, right? The free agency, right? They can go anywhere they want, even though AD really forced a trade. Yeah, but this whole player empowerment moment—I don't have a philosophical problem with it. Players obviously are enjoying it. I have no problem with players controlling the stakes. But let's be honest about this, right? I don't think fans are on board with this. And I it don't... Is, yes, you're exact. I was just going to say that it is truly reflected in the fact that I see, and you know, some of the po- folks I'm talking about 
uh, friends of you know mine that are Laker fans, I haven't seen them celebrating as much as they did, say, for example, when the Shaq and Kobe Lakers won. Uh, exactly. You know, primarily because again, Kobe was homegrown. Uh, right. Shaq, right. Shaq came in free agency, so it wasn't like a demand as such. Right. I mean. You at this one is just feels like a synthetic manufactured championship, and I don't even know how much, like you said, the Laker faithful is into it. Like like the Warriors, the Warrior fans absolutely loved that team, right? Because yeah. because except for Durant, everybody else was homegrown. In fact, some of them would have even preferred to continue to play without Durant. That's how much they loved the previous version of that team, right? Yeah, and. You know, the other aspect, and I like the your usage of the word fabricated, is that it wasn't, this Lakers team wasn't even constructed at a, what I call, at a general manager level, where he or she scans across whoever is a free agent and picks the best team. This felt like all their energies went into making sure LeBron comes on board and then had him basically select a bunch of his cronies to join him. The J.R. Smiths, the KCPs of the world. Exactly. Right? It, it, it was like literally, as you said, fabricated and not at the right level of operations. That's good. That's a good point too. So not only was it just bought, it was kind of bought by LeBron, which yeah. there's another level of uh, you know ugliness to us, if you will, in terms of how a team is supposed to be run. Anyways, with all that said, they won it fair and square and give them kudos. And now it's uh, time to look at the next season, uh, which Ravi, uh, as you probably are very well aware, Suns hopefully are, are part of that playoff conversation next year. Um, hey, uh, my my strong feeling is they were the only team that were unbeaten in the bubble. So. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> Anyways, those are my thoughts on the NBA and uh, uh, the Lakers winning. Again, LeBron is just an amazing player. Uh, it's just all the off-the-field stuff he orchestrates that is annoying at times. But just as a player, he's, I think, in my book, the second best ever after uh, uh, MJ. So it's an, another feather in his cap. And uh, let's see what he does next year. Um, anything Agreed. else? Yeah, just one ahead? last thing. Just one last thing, which is uh, for, for all that uh, that I have said and you as well about our qualms about the Lakers winning, the one thing that I actually feel delightful, delighted by is uh, our our friend uh, Jared Dudley getting a ring. Uh, True. And, you know, from from all of his interviews that he gave, even to Arizona sports media in the last two days, and then reading his tweets, it, you you can sense that he's truly happy about it. And I think uh, it's nice, you know, for a for a nice guy to finish first uh, for once. Well said, well said. He's a great guy. He's a great guy, and I believe he even got to play a little bit in that last game. The blowout. right. Right, right. <laughs> so that's great. Anything else, uh, Ravi? Otherwise, uh, we should do this again soon. Let's do it. Thank you. Hey.